What up, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Square Circle Podcast. I am your host, Marie Shadows, and on this episode and the future episodes going forward, I will be talking about the G1 Climax 33. It started today. Today was the opening day of the G1 Climax 33. Today is July 15th, 2023. New Japan Pro Wrestling decided to have matches from A Block and B Block for the opening night. And did you know that today is free to watch? Tomorrow is free to watch. So if you never got the chance to watch New Japan Pro Wrestling or you never got the chance to want and get a subscription, which you should to New Japan Pro Wrestling, you should get that New Japan World subscription. It is only 999 yen, which turns out to seven and change and then a little bit of an exchange rate. It's not a big deal. $7 a month is definitely affordable and is definitely worth it because guess what? Both you and I could talk about the same show and both you and I could voice our opinions and have very fun watching New Japan Pro Wrestling because like I said New Japan Pro Wrestling is one of the best promotions today and to talk about the G1 Climax 33 that's also a good tournament to watch all the way through we're going to get really great matches really great matchups some fresh stories happening some angles started as well so it is worth it to get the new japan pro wrestling subscription at njpwworld.com do not wait for it make sure you go and get it after sunday it is paid So before I jump into talking about the matches in full with some thoughts, opinions, maybe even some story ideas, this is how today's show went. Again, July 15th, 2023, they were in Hokkaido. This is matches for A Block and B Block. We start off with Yoshihashi versus ELP, Chase Owens versus Gabriel Kidd, Tungaloa versus Kenta, Shota Umino versus Ranarita, Okada versus the Great Okan, Suji versus Kaito, Taichi versus Will Ospreay, and Sonata versus Hikaleo closes out the opening night. Overall, this was a good opening night for the G1 Climax 33. And so let's just jump right into it. Yoshihashi versus ELP is representing B Block. This was a very, very slow start. Very slow start. Usually Yoshihashi matches do end up starting out slow, but I was surprised that ELP decided to be part of a slow starting match. ELP is being a lot more serious this time. He's definitely not trying to be as comedic as he once was. If you guys don't know, he got kicked out of Bullet Club. He wrestled David Finley to try to take David Finley's never open weight championship title away from him, but that did not happen at all ELP lost against David Finley out of Buddha Club so he is a man without a home currently there was a point in this match where ELP takes a little too much time to do a certain type of move and here comes Yoshihashi to basically get control of the match does a shotgun drop kick to ELP's knee and Yoshihashi just takes advantage of the match and it goes his way 
We get a blockbuster to ELP, a cover, but ELP grabs the rope just in time for the referee to see it. Yoshihashi does not get the victory. Then we get a Northern Lights to Yoshihashi, so ELP is trying to make a comeback. At some point during this match, ELP somehow hurt his neck muscles because he kept grabbing at his neck, shoulder, and trapezius muscles during this match. I don't remember exactly what happened, but this could play a factor later on into the G1. The G1 is one of the most grueling tournaments there is where it's back to back to back to back and your body doesn't necessarily get to fully heal. So ELP continues to clutch his neck muscles, but continues on and does a Thunder Kiss 86 from an off angle in the ring. So he was on the apron, springboards on top of the ropes, and then springboards in to the match and does the Thunder Kiss 86, which is a big body splash. Yoshihashi kicks out of that cover, and then we have this mini power battle back and forth between the two. But Yoshihashi manages to do this jumping, twisting, crucifix bomb pin combination to ELP. ELP cannot escape this. So that allows Yoshihashi to get the one, two, three, pick up the victory, and get two points. After the match, Yoshihashi extends his hand to El Fantasmo. And El Fantasmo shakes it, goes to the back, and still has an ice pack on his neck, shoulder, and trapezius muscle area. Our next match is A Block. We have Chase Owens versus Gabriel Kidd. Both of these guys are in Bullet Club. The only difference is that Gabe Kidd is part of War Dogs. And we are now to refer to him as War Ready Gabe Kidd. And this match started off super hot. When Chase was coming out during his entrance, Gabe did not give a single fuck and came out with a chair and basically rammed that chair in the back of Chase Owens' head. So at this point, Gabe Kidd definitely blindsided his opponent and started to get the upper hand and the control of this match. The bell has not rung yet, ladies and gentlemen. So Gabriel Kidd is doing all of this extra offense in order to weaken Chase Owens to possibly get the victory. So they continue to fight. They go into the crowd, and Gabriel Kidd is basically creating a pen, sort of, a little mini area where everybody could be safe. Because this motherfucker decides to go back up the ramp all the way to the entrance, prays to his God, runs and flips over and lands directly on Chase Owens, does a stage dive. Now, my question on commentary would have been, how long has Gabriel Kidd waited to do a stage dive? Like, if he ever went to his favorite concert, like, would he do a stage dive then if he was given the chance? But no, on commentary, this is why back in 2019, it was the same kind of tone in commentary when it comes to Bullet Club. And I understand that, like, the very 
coolness is to hate on Bullet Club, to not try to understand where Bullet Club is coming from, especially the new young talent that is within Bullet Club. Each of these men, okay, so all four of them, Gabriel Kidd, Alex Coughlin, Dan Maloney, and Clark Connors, they all have one thing in common, and that essentially they all been overlooked. Essentially, they've been the ones that people would tell them, oh, you're great. You're awesome. You have all these matches. You have amazing in-ring workability and everything under the sun. But the opportunities are not given to them in the same manner and energy as, oh, you're good, kid. You know, keep going. You know, it's one of those. So, you know, the line of questioning that I really just don't like when Bullet Club gets this is the fact that they're scared of getting fined. They're scared of having a lawsuit on their hands. They're scared of getting fired. Well, I don't think the commentators are scared of getting fired, but there was insinuation that Gabriel Kidd can get fired which I'm like, bro, if they have not stopped all the members of Bullet Club War Dogs at all, what makes you think that they're going to get fired? Like, it should have happened during Best of the Super Juniors because the most people that were rearranging furniture was Clark Connors and Dan Maloney. Those two guys were rearranging furniture left and right every single time they had a match. So it was Gabe Kidd and Alex Coughlin. They were rearranging furniture and they were taking out veterans of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You don't think for one second that the veterans would have probably went to management and probably would have been like, hey, we didn't like that. That was total disrespect. They're really ruining the respect of like New Japan and fighting and tradition and shit like that. But no, that didn't happen. All these guys still have jobs. Like, I don't understand why as a commentator, like, I get it. The grand scheme of things, I get it. You're supposed to create that sort of afraidness. But why are you afraid of you doing commentary? Like, it's part of the job to make sure you don't get hit. That's one thing. Luckily, no one got hit. But this line of questioning of that Bullet Club could always do wrong. But later on in the show of this G1 Climax 33 opener night, something similar happened. And that same energy that was given towards Bullet Club was not applied to Will Ospreay of the United Empire, which was total silence. So, like, I don't understand why Bullet Club always, always, always has to get this really negative connotation about them when they are trying to do what is necessary in order to win. While, yes, I do agree that wrestling matches should have at least a little bit of respect, mutual respect, and that it should be about your ability, your sportsmanship, but at the same time, it's a wrestling match. It is a match that you want to win. You definitely don't want to be in the loser column, but you want to win. And sometimes you want to do anything necessary to win. Luckily, there were no people harmed during all of this rearranging of the fans. But don't make it sound so dire as if like the fans don't know what they signed up for. 
I understand that like Japanese fans are so loyal and you know they might not understand fully like how Americans understand the business but at the same time at least they move okay over here in America we don't move for shit like if we see one of you guys coming at us we stay in our seats for some odd fucking reason I don't know but at least Japanese fans get up and they move and they're okay you know so let Gabe be unhinged however the longer Gabe Kid is unhinged and I really do love Gabe Kid. I really do. I think that he's special. He has a lot of potential to be really, really great. And I followed his whole entire New Japan career, him being in the dojo system and then like everything else that happened after that. So I really would stand by Gabriel Kidd in this G1. However, being unhinged can be a curse and a blessing. A curse because it could be used against Gabriel Kidd. And then a blessing could be that his unhinged, unorthodox wrestling style that you don't know if he's going to throw you into the crowd or throw a chair at you or something can definitely knock you out and that will allow him to get the victory over you so i would just say that gabriel kidd needs to use his unhinged very smartly because the more people that tape study him the more that they're going to realize, oh, he's probably going to blindside me. And that could definitely throw off everything that Gabe was thinking of doing in the match because somebody decided to study him and decided to be like, all right, he's going to come from somewhere and they're ready for it. Now, the rest of the match, once we get into the ring, their bell finally rings. And this is where Chase Owens creates a little bit of an opening and starts to... Take control of the match. Chase ends up doing a new move called the Marvel Special. It is a backdrop on the corner pad into a Saido suplex. And then we have some counters onto Gabe finally does some clotheslines and a brain buster to Chase, but Chase kicks out. Gabe then decides to spit in the face of Chase. When Gabe says to the world that he doesn't give a shit, that he doesn't give a fuck at all, that's exactly what it is. Could it backfire? Eventually, it might backfire later on in this tournament. However, that sort of angers Chase. So Chase ends up doing the half and half into the C-trigger, and then the package power driver goes for the cover, gets the one, two, three, and gets two points for this match. Now, continuing talking about Bullet Club before we jump into the next almost Bullet Club match. So Chase always decides to leave a little comment at the end of his match with Gabe. And Chase doesn't understand where all this anger is coming from with Gabe and doesn't understand what's happening. But then again, he does mention that, you know, he survived three different changing of Bullet Club. So he's Bullet Club for life. And this new change is nothing new, but he does want to have a talk with Gabe and I'm guessing the other boys as well and another interesting thing to point out is that during the G1 press conference if you guys were not there watching it with me on kick.com forward slash Marie Shadows you guys should have been it was very very fun to watch together with the wrestling community 
Evil had a very, very, very interesting comment to make to David Finley, where he said that even though him and David Finley, when I say him, I mean Evil, even though Evil and David Finley are in Bullet Club, he basically told Finley, do not forget who's at the fore, meaning that this motherfucker is eventually going to get kicked out. And I also suspect that Chase gets kicked out too. Because when you start questioning the boys under David Finley, you best be prepared for the consequences. And I'm not saying that as if like David Finley just protects his boys. It's just that there's a new meaning, there's a new freshness to Bullet Club and most of the ones that were there forever are eventually going to be weeded out and we're going to start with a whole new bullet club as we've seen and this was the quickest bullet club that got gold in like one night or like over two nights in a way basically two different nights so at dominion we crown new iwgp junior heavyweight tag team champions at independence day night one we crowned new NJPW strong openweight tag team champions. Even though Gabriel Kidd and Alex Coughlin tried to win the IWGP World Heavyweight Tag Team titles off of Yoshihashi and Goto because they were double champions, that did not happen. However, the fact still remains that under David Finley, the War Dogs were the quickest to get tag team gold or any gold. And on top of that, as a bonus, bring bodies with them. So that's a testament. This is why I think that both Evil and Chase are going to get kicked out. Kenta is probably going to stay because Kenta is Kenta, but we never know. But speaking of Kenta, let's jump into the next match, which is B-Block, Kenta versus Tangaloa. Loa has been gone for a year. He had a knee surgery done and the doctors fixed up his knee and he rested for a year and now he's back. And I think this was the most appropriate match for him to have on his comeback. I was going to say debut, but on his comeback to fight Kenta. And it was a very interesting match. Obviously, Kenta went after his bad knee and Loa, you know, basically... Crying out in pain and definitely hoping that, like, nothing really truly bad happens again where, like, he has to be out again. So as we continue to go through the match, because Kenta was really working on Loa's knee, we end up getting a ref bump. What kind of match would it, it be without a ref bump, right? So we get a ref bump and Kenta tries to, like, low blow and stuff. But, you know, Loa knows this all too well. Loa ends up managing to do a spear and then ape shit, which is his finisher, and goes for the cover, gets a one, two, three, and Loa gets two points in his G1 comeback. So two points for Loa. Our next match is A Block, Shota Umino versus Ren Narita. Now, I highly encourage you to get the NJPW World's description to watch this match. If you don't, that's totally fine. Make sure you follow me on kick.com forward slash Marie Shadows because this will be one of the matches that we're going to be watching on Tuesday over at kick.com forward slash Marie Shadows because this is an amazing match. 
a super match, an amazing match. I loved it from start to finish. Even though I have been saying that Shota Umino needs to get his own identity, he has to stop riding the coattails of John Moxley because that is not going to get him anywhere. In this match, it was a tie, basically. Oh, by the way, I, I apologize. I went a little too far yes they did get a tie yes they did get to the time limit remember each of these g1 matches for this year are all 20 minutes so you have to really think on your feet in order to get those two points however these two are going to be having the best rivalry in the upcoming years of their career just based on this match alone they were equally matched they were countering each other they were playing chess the story was absolutely there between these two. And these two were proving to each other that one has to be better than the other. Sometimes Ren Narita will get the upper hand on Shota Umino or Shota Umino will get the upper hand on Ren Narita. Both of these guys would do a couple moves here and there, stun their opponent, but then come back and do some reversals and some counters. I am not going to go through everything because then it'll just take up a little too much time. But believe me when I tell you that this is one of the matches to watch. These two guys are going to have an awesome freaking rivalry in the years to come. What made it so much better was commentary with, you know, um, counting down the minutes as well. Because we get to a point where they're like five minutes left at this point and then... Both of these guys are coming at each other with exploders and German suplexes and double slaps. And then both of them are exhausted and they're both down and that's wasting time. So you're like, well, what's next? What they're really going to do? And then they come back with some strikes. They have some energy, but then it's two minutes left. And then we get like a tornado DDT to Ren from Shota. And Shota's trying to do his finisher. Uh, but Ren is like, nope, I'm not going to let you win this one. We get that guillotine DDT but then Ren Narita kicks out we get like a Cobra twist to sort of stop the momentum and have somebody tap out because the body can only go but so far right both of these guys are exhausted both of these guys have a lot to prove they're both young and this match really proved that the future of New Japan Pro Wrestling when it comes to these young guys is very secured and we're going to have very fun matches. We're going to have very fun story. We're going to be talking about this, debating this for years to come. So I will say this, though. This match will definitely be one of the matches we're watching on Tuesday for Tape Study Tuesday at kick.com forward slash Marie Shadows. I would love to see you guys there so we could talk about it. However, my full review in depth is on my Discord. If you guys are not signed up to the Square Circle Society Discord, please go do so. That link will be in the description below of this episode. And also that same link will be on marieshadows.substack.com. That is the newsletter version of the Square Circle Society over at Substack. So you guys will get the full damn thing either on my Discord or over at the newsletter, but I would love to see you over at kick.com forward slash Marie Shadows. Now, to wrap all this up so I can stop self-plugging all of my things, Ren Arita and Shota Umino definitely showed out in this match, and I fucking love it. However, due to 20-minute time limit in each of these matches, they went the distance. That's not a pun. That's not a joke. They went the distance. So what happens is... 
in one of these round robin tournaments where there are points to be made and the top contenders go to the quarterfinals and finals and all that kind of stuff. Both Shota and Renarita are awarded one point each. So for the opening of the G1 on July 15, 2023, Shota Umino has one point. Red Narita has one point. Our next match is B Block Okada versus the Great Okan. Okada told the world the years that he won the G1, and he also said that he's going to beat everybody. The Great Okan has become way more super serious, and I feel a little bit of concern for the Great Okan. I love the great Okan. The great Okan is a great wrestler. He's also a great human being and judging by everyone's story, he's also a very good friend as well. However, him being serious in this match could had him win the match, but then again, it's against Okada. So the great Okan was using his amateur wrestling style against Okada. Okada is not very versed in amateur wrestling so it was a little bit harder for Okada to gain some type of control in this match because if you heard any of my other reviews about Okada Okada is the veteran in any of the matches that he has and Okada likes to have the opponent follow him so basically it's an Okada match even though the opponent would get their shit in but mainly it's an Okada match like he's controlling most of it and he's doing what's best for the match as well as the opponent in this one the great Okan was taking lead and that's because of the amateur wrestling style and I think going forward in this G1 whenever we see the great Okan wrestle it's going to be that amateur wrestling style that the great Okan is known for that we know that he does this it's not a bad thing that the great Okan wants to go with the amateur wrestling style but eventually other people will pick up on it and then turn it on their favor. And at one point, the great Okan has Okada in this choke hold. And I was like, is Okada fading? But he's not. Okada manages to get to the bottom rope, cause a rope break. The great Okan was being super methodical against Okada in this match. He was working on Okada's arm, his shoulder, his neck. Like anything to pick apart Okada so that way the Great Okan could try to have some type of victory. Once Okada picks up speed, you know that elbow is coming. And now this is when he takes advantage of the match. Here comes the flapjack. He goes over for a cover, but the Great Okan kicks out. Okada puts the money clip on the Great Okan and then goes over to the corner turnbuckle. Okada then sets the Great Okan up onto the turnbuckle, does an amazing dropkick, and sends him out to the floor. And this is where Okada gets a little bit dangerous. He takes the Great Okan, puts him on top of the barricade, and does a draping DDT to Okan. We get a very nice gut wrench suplex from Okan to Okada. Okan is not giving up anytime soon. He does the sheep killer, but Okada gets out of it. And then we have this risk control sort of thing going on where you know that once Okada gets risk control, that's it. Here comes the Rainmaker. One, two, three. But this time the great Okan scouts it, avoids it, and throws Okada over his shoulder and then takes control of Okada's wrist. But that doesn't really last for too long. We now have five minutes left. So what is there to do? 
Okada ends up doing the Rainmaker to the Great Okan. One, two, three. Okada gets two points. Like he told the world he's going to be winning each of his G1 matches. Our next match is A Block. Yoda Suji versus Kaito. I'm going to have to say, like, I'm going to have to hear his last name a couple of times, but it's the guy from Noah. And I know that might be a little disrespectful, but it is the guy from Noah. Noah sent him over to New Japan for him to try to make a name for himself. And he's surviving. He's swimming in New Japan Pro Wrestling. But at the same time, it's like, bro, you don't go here. So, you know, we're going to be a little extra hard on you uh, because you don't go here. Suji. Suji is my favorite one, man. Like, I fucking love Suji. Suji is going to be champion in like two years. Maybe you could quote me on that. Maybe you won't. Like, I don't know. But Suji has everything. And I fucking love this guy. So Suji comes out first and then Kaito comes out and the commentators really hype up Kaito. They try their very, very best. Suji has definitely heard enough. So Suji comes in with a huge tope suicida to Kaito. Kaito smacks his back into the barricade and Suji is very aggressive. He comes in with this aggressive backbreaker and then pushes Kaito down to the mat face first and then does a heavy, 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 heavy curb stomp. It looks super devastating. And by the way, if we ever want to have a debate about who has the best curb stomp, Suji has a better curb stomp than Seth Rollins. Like, I could believe that the curb stomp that Suji does, it's a lot more powerful, impactful, and definitely intimidating. Like, it really does rival Seth Rollins's curb stomp. So Suji takes advantage of Kaito, even though Kaito manages to slip out of Suji's grasp more than once, and then tries to have some chopping exchange between him and Suji. But Suji is absorbing all of the chops. To the point where Kaito thinks that he has the one up and decides to run to the ropes, bounce off. But Suji is there to catch him and do a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker on Kaito. No one does that anymore and I'm glad that Suji has been bringing it back. In this match, you will definitely see a lot of dragon screws and figure fours and the shining wizard. That's because Kaito is trained by Keiji Muto. Keiji decided to take Kaito under his wing. So you do see a lot of influence there. And once Kaito starts attacking Suji's knee, he does not let up. There is this one point where Kaito tries to do a tiger suplex. However, freaking Suji over here does a full rotation and lands on his feet and you would think that his knees will buckle because Kaito has spent so much time on wearing down his knees, but it doesn't happen. Suji is using his willpower to overcome the pain that he is feeling. And then here comes Suji with a big splash. He's building up speed. He does a head scissors takeover, a shoulder tackle, and almost getting a near fall on Kaito. It is also revealed that Suji used to play American football and he was a quarterback. So all of that power that he has, that presence that he has, is all thanks to that. As we get closer to the five-minute mark of this match, everything starts to speed up. Everything becomes dire. We get a half-and-half half flipping bomb to Suji. It basically turns him inside out. 
And so Kaito does the shiny wizard and goes for the cover and one, two, three. And I can't believe that Kaito won against Suji. Kaito gets two points in his first ever G1 Climax 33 in a New Japan Pro Wrestling company and a New Japan Pro Wrestling ring. On commentary, they were explaining that when Noah does their N1 victory tournament, which is similar to the G1, Kaito decided to opt out of the N1 victory, which happens between... August 6th and September 3rd over at NOAA. So he is not going to be defending his N1 title like he would normally do. So he came over here to New Japan Pro Wrestling to be in the G1, to be in this tournament, and definitely to kick Okada's ass because he still has business with Okada. Again, like I told you guys, Okada's in the fuck them kids stage because of Kaito. So... As much as it disappoints me that Suji did not pick up two points and he was also named part of the three musketeers. How the fuck you don't give him two points, by the way? Ah, man. All right. Kaito ends up getting his first two points in his very first G1 Climax 33 in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Now we come to B Block, Taichi versus Will Ospreay. First, let me start off by saying that whatever this new Will Ospreay character is or rendition of Ospreay, I don't like it. I really don't. I have a lot of questions, more than answers, and I know that things are given slowly, which is great, but I just don't want this to be a kind of like fluid character that can go between heel and babyface and then maybe in the middle without like any real substantial sort of what's the word I'm looking for reason there we go I don't know why it took me so long to get the word reason but if you guys don't know I know everyone watched Forbidden Door but for those of you that are tuning in that are new to hearing a wrestling podcast Forbidden Door was last month and we had Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay part two to see who's going to win the IWGP United States Championship title this happened in canada and osprey was definitely not liking canada at all don't understand canada however kenny omega is from canada so kenny omega had to defend his hometown totally get it however that same freaking cocky character heel is coming into the g1 and the way that osprey approached this match was having a very heavy chip on his shoulder, was having this attitude of that, like, he can't be touched, and that he doesn't really respect Tai Chi at all, you know? So it was sort of like a little misplacement, because I know that whenever I watch an Osprey match, he does have that cockiness to him, but he's also not that overly confident to the point where it's like he's just doing this just to get two points and he doesn't really like care about the quality of the match. He always gives us quality matches. Him versus Tai Chi was one of those matches where I would expect someone else on the roster to do, especially character wise, especially that cockiness to be like, oh, I'm better than them no matter what. I'm fine with Osprey saying that he's on another level because, yeah, there are times where you watch his matches and you're like, shit, nobody could do that but you, Osprey. Like, that's totally great. But I don't understand what this 
carrying this over to the company is really going to do, especially when, like, you're supposed to be the leader of the United Empire. The United Empire is not fixed. The United Empire still has problems, even if nobody wants to talk about it or it's not being shown a light on it. Like, there is no togetherness anymore that i feel for the united empire i feel like it's the united empire but everyone is doing their own thing and not coming together as a strong unit like they really were you know some months ago so osprey coming in with this chip on his shoulder doesn't sit right with me and tai chi tai chi is a damn good wrestler and he's been going the serious route he's with just five guys he's with sonata and stuff and he put up one hell of a fight there were times where like Osprey really controlled the match and then Taichi tried to get some offense in and he does, but Osprey is there to basically cancel that momentum. But in the end, we're just going to go to the end because I'm talking about more of character wise that I don't like. And this whole entire thing was just not really wasn't the best that it could be. Uh, so as we get to um, the ending, Taichi Super kicks Osprey's hidden blade attack as a counter. That was a very smart move. And then Tai Chi does Black Mephisto. And Tai Chi goes for the cover, gets one, two, three, and gets two surprising points over Will Osprey. The one thing I did not discuss yet was the fact that somewhere during this match, when Tai Chi kicked Osprey, that kick landed him right in the ear and then knocked off his equilibrium completely even though osprey was still going and was still like yeah red shoots i could still go but he's wobbling and falling down i'm surprised he didn't throw up usually if it's that bad of an off like equilibrium type of thing that eventually you're gonna throw the fuck up but i'm surprised osprey didn't throw up whether or not that was real or kayfabe like make sure you sell it make sure that you know you do a couple more things with it. Um, you know, if the ref would have stopped it, I would have been fine because I want the wrestlers in the best form possible. I don't want any wrestler to be like, oh, I got to retire because of X, Y, Z. Like if it could be prevented early, fuck yeah. You know, let the ref like stop the match. You know, um, I would have stopped the match. I wouldn't listen to Osprey, but Osprey kept going. And, you know, it kind of felt like it was kayfabe. It didn't really feel like it was real, real. But I just didn't like that. This match, I honestly did not like. Usually, Osprey gives us amazing matches. Hopefully, his next matches throughout this G1, you know, could be a little bit more better. But again, Taichi picks up the victory in his hometown of Hokkaido. And gets two points in the G1. Our main event for the G1 Climax 33 is A Block, Hikaleo versus Sonata, our IWGP heavyweight champion. This match was really good. The way that Hikaleo commanded his big ass size, because he's a freaking tree, but I say that with love. I really do. I say that with love, Hikaleo. The way that he commanded his presence, the way he commanded the ring and basically giving Sonata something to work for. This is the Hikaleo that I want to see. This is the Hikaleo that I want the world to see. Hikaleo was a beast in New Japan Strong. His match with Fred Rosser, that always comes to mind. Hikaleo is 
one of the best. He's getting there. He's definitely a threat to be reckoned with. And definitely Sonata was cool, calm, and collective. But Sonata even knows that he has to try to take the big guy off of his feet, which he has tried to do in this match by drop kicking Hikaleo in the knee and then also pushing him into the ring post, pushing him into the barricade and any other little thing that he can do to get Hikaleo off of his game. However, Hikaleo is a lot more stronger and taller and faster and able to do running power slams and able to do snap power slams as well. And his finisher godsend, which is a huge ass choke slam and this big ass power bomb he did to Sonata. But Sonata kicks out because Sonata is our champion. Of course, he's going to kick out. So as we get towards the end of this match Hikaleo tries to do godsend but it is countered by Sonata's deadfall finisher and it was so quick the way that Sonata pulled that finisher out gets the one two three over Hikaleo and Sonata gets two points on the board for the G1 Climax 33 what I really did enjoy about the match was the way that Hikaleo was propped up to be that beast, to be that big man, to be that guy that you got to really try and take the legs out from him and try your best to overpower him as well if you can. Basically, you got to like hit and run with Hikaleo, but Hikaleo managed to definitely hold his own with Sonata, the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion in the ring. And that says a lot. You know, this is his first loss in the G1. It's totally okay. It's the opening night. He has all the rest of the matches to focus on. But again, this is the kind of monster that I want to see shown to the world so that people can get on Hikaleo's side. We all know Sonata's great. That's why he's our champion. But pay attention to Hikaleo. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's go over who has what points of the leaderboard. So for A Block, Sonata has two points. Shota Umino has one. Ren Narita has one. Yoda Suji has zero. Hikaleo has zero. Chase Owens has two. Gabe Kidd has zero. And Kaito has two. That is just for A block for today. For B block, we have Okada with two points, Yoshihashi with two points, Tungaloa with two points, El Phantasma with zero points, Taichi with two points, Will Osprey with zero points, The Great Okan with zero points, and Kenta with zero points. Tomorrow is night two of the G1. Climax 33, again, that will be free so you guys could be able to watch it. And I really do highly suggest that you guys go and watch the next night of the G1 Climax 33. Now, they are going to be showing matches from C Block and D Block. That's going to be super fun. We're going to talk about it. Again, guys, if you have not signed up to my newsletter, marieshadows.substack.com, please go do so. I would love to have you there. I would love to have more friends, more wrestling fans who are interested in learning about the G1 to get a little bit more perspective, please go do that, marieshadows.substack.com. 
Also, the link to my Discord, the Square Circle Society Discord, will be down in the description of the podcast episode and also on the newsletter as well. So you can go and see my notes. And that's exclusive. And it's free. So I don't know why you guys are waiting to sign up. All of this is free. Normally, I would charge because of the time and effort it takes me to put everything together. But it just seems that free tends to bring people together talk about it and i guess if you want to send me a tip you guys can send me a tip or a donation somewhere email me and or slide into my dms to ask for that or the link for that will be down in the description below i do need your help upcoming for the next event having me go over to North Carolina so I could continue to do what I love to do, which is commentate and do commentary. And North Carolina is the next step for Goddesses of War Wrestling. So that would be down there too. You know, help me out. That's it. Just help out the brand, help out each other. But again, follow me on social media, such as Twitter at Marie underscore shadows, kick.com forward slash Marie shadows, the link to the Square Circle Society Discord where it has extra, extra, extra stuff that you're not going to get on this podcast episode. And then also my newsletter, marieshadows.substack.com, where it's an extension of everything that you hear here and stuff like that. So head over there, sign up, tell a friend, share it with people. And I really do want to thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for listening to these episodes and also for listening to episode 300. We just made it to episode 300. This is episode 301 of four seasons of the Square Circle podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to a review of the opening night of the G1 Climax 33 2023 on July 15, 2023. I hope you guys enjoyed. If you did, tell a friend. And I hope to see you guys on the next one.